Well, it's good to be back with you. Um, isn't there some sort of football game tonight or something? That's right, the Super Bowl, but it's not official because the Saints aren't in it, but I guess we can still watch it. When you watch this game tonight, you'll notice that, and really this is in any sport, any game, the teams are looking for momentum. Once a team can get some momentum going, it's hard to stop them. They can stay focused. If they can get in a rhythm, stay positive, good things can happen. The same principle applies to a small business or a church or a ministry in a church. Here at Centenary, when we start a new ministry or when we try something new, it's really helpful if we can help that ministry gain some momentum. I think of this beautiful sanctuary that we're sitting in and all of the incredible financial sacrifices that went into us being able to be in here. And after a few short years, um, did y'all realize that the debt to pay this thing off is like the cost of an average house? We are getting so close. And I'm thinking that if a few gifts come in, we could gain some momentum to encourage others to contribute, and before we know it, we'd be debt-free as a church. Wouldn't that be a blessing for us? When we invited Camp in the City to, to come last summer, the children's ministry knew this was something that we had never attempted. No church in Kentucky had ever attempted to do this. And our goal, as we sat around, we thought, could we have 120 kids? That was our big goal. And realistically, that may have been a bit high, but we thought, okay, okay, if we could get 90 or 100 kids here, we could build momentum for the next year. And you know, that's exactly what happened. They're coming back this summer. Sign-ups begin soon, parents. You know, aiming for smaller victories is usually more helpful than shooting for the moon. Because these small successes, small victories can lead to bigger ones. And then that creates momentum to succeed. In our scripture passage today, we see Jesus at the very start of his ministry. And he needed some momentum to get going. At this point in his ministry, Jesus only had four disciples. He was just starting. On this one particular day from our text, he had spent the day in the town of Capernaum. He was teaching in the synagogue there. And And the scripture says that the people were absolutely wowed at the authority with which he he taught and the spiritual depth that he had. And while he was in the synagogue, there was a man in there who scripture says was possessed by a demon. So what does Jesus do? He takes on that demon. And the demon leaves and the man is healed. Boy, this town had never seen anything like that. 
They were amazed at, at what this man named Jesus could do. I mean, who gave him that authority? You know how news in Danville spreads? Oh, come on. Yeah, news spreads about events before they even happen in this town. Well, let me tell you, in the town of Capernaum, news started to spread about what Jesus was doing, about this, this man who had, was, who had a demon in him, and Jesus cast the demon out. Pretty soon, all the towns in that region knew what was going on in Capernaum. Before we go any further, let's take a good Super Bowl timeout. So we have this incident with Jesus and, and this demon, right? So what are we to make of demon possession? Oh, Mike, why are you going there? Well, because it's in the text. What are we to make of this? We read about this in the Gospels, how, Je- how Jesus cast out demons from people. We've seen it in movies, done with all the stuff that Hollywood can do. But is it real? Can a demon take over somebody? Well, I believe, yes, it's real. Because demons are real. But listen to this. I also believe that for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus and have the Holy Spirit living in us, demons can't touch us. They can't touch us because the power of God living in us is infinitely more powerful than our enemy the devil or his demon punks. So it can happen, but if you've given your life to Jesus, don't don't run around being afraid. They need to be afraid of you. All the devil can do is tempt you. Can't make you do anything if you've given your life to Christ. All right, let's, let's get back to Jesus in his very interesting day because it's not over. Okay, Jesus' ministry is beginning well. Great word of mouth publicity, we might say today. So when he got to Simon Peter's house to spend the night, he found that Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a fever. And I love this 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 event because it just shows how gentle Jesus could be. Jesus goes up to Simon Peter's mother-in-law and he puts her hand in his hand and she's healed. Isn't that beautiful? There's just something about that, that tenderness that is just so beautiful. Nothing dramatic, no big healing, you know, where she she's falls on the floor or any of that stuff. Jesus just puts his hand in hers, and she's healed. Well, as this was going on, there was a big ruckus outside the house. See, this word that had spread about what Jesus did in the synagogue with that demon-possessed man, there was a line forming outside of Simon Peter's house of people who were sick, or demon-possessed themselves, and they wanted Jesus to heal them. And so Jesus healed them all, well into the night. 
It's a long day that Jesus had. But you know, people were coming to him. People were getting healed. That's a wonderful thing. Again, in the eyes of the world, that is a perfect way for this new ministry to begin. Jesus, that was a successful day. One day, and look, you're, you're the most famous person in the region. But then we get to verse 35, and things get really interesting. See, even though Jesus had ministered to people late into the night, he woke up way before dawn, maybe 4 a.m., and he snuck out of the house. And he wandered to what gospel writer Mark calls a solitary place so that he could go pray. Way outside of town, Some translations call it the wilderness, a desolate place. Nobody was there because he wanted to be all by himself with God. See, when when we want to get to know somebody, we spend time with them, don't we? We talk with them. You can't get to know somebody if you're not with them. Our relationship with God is no different. We can't expect to grow closer to God if we're not spending time with God. That just makes sense. But so many of us think we're, we're too busy, we don't have time. Praying or talking to God isn't productive, we don't have something to show for it at the end. And my goodness, who can focus long enough to pray with our minds wandering all over the place, right? You sit down to pray. Okay, Lord, I'm going to pray. Oh, I can't forget to get bread at Kroger. Our minds are wandering. We can't focus. So, well, since I can't focus, I just won't do that. So we just give up and we don't spend time with God. See, if Jesus thought it was important enough for him to wake up at four in the morning and go pray, shouldn't having a conversation and praying with God be even more important to us? I mean, we're not Jesus. We probably need it more than he did. But yet we don't, do we? See, we can talk to God just like we talk to a friend. We can use words and language that, 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 that we're used to saying. We don't have to use big churchy words or these holy words that are that long. Just talk to God. Just share your heart with him. What's going on in your life? And of course, when we pray, it's important to remember to allow God to speak to us. Because communication should go both ways. We don't want to be one of those people like we know that just talk at us. You know those folks? We try to have a conversation, but it's all one way. Many times our prayers are that way. It's all out, and we don't allow God to speak to us. Well, when when Simon Peter and the others woke up, I think if you read between the lines in the text, they kind of had a panic attack. 
They couldn't find Jesus. What kind of alert do you need for Jesus? A golden alert, amber alert, savior alert? They can't find Jesus anywhere. He's gone. And from the context of the Bible passage, there's a good chance that there's another line of people already forming outside the house. So Simon Peter and some others take off and go look for him. They look all over the place for him. Jesus, Jesus, where are you? They can't find him. Well, of course, he went to a desolate, lonely, solitary place. Maybe he didn't want to be found. Well, they finally found him all by himself, and he's praying. Can you imagine the relief? We found you. They said, Jesus, you've got to come back to Capernaum. Everybody wants you. You're all the town's talking about. In other words, this is, this is great. This is just what our new ministry needs. You're a hit, Lord. Come on back, let's go. But Jesus replied to him, no, let's go someplace else. A place that doesn't know who I am. He says, that's why I came to the earth. See, if Jesus had stayed in Capernaum, it would have sidetracked his purpose for coming into the world. Jesus came to reach the whole world, not just this one town. If he had made Simon Peter's home his headquarters and set up a ministry office there, it would have changed the entire focus of Jesus' ministry. I mean, he was popular in Capernaum. They loved him. They wanted him to stay there. But Jesus knew that he needed to reach more people than just in this one village. He'd be taking a chance, wouldn't he? Because who knows what kind of reception he'd receive someplace else. It may not be as welcoming as he had in Capernaum. But he knew he needed to stay on task for why he came, especially at the very start of his ministry. But see, I think there's another reason that Jesus left Capernaum. See, in just a short time, in just a few hours, Jesus had become known as the holy man who could heal you. The people came to Jesus because of what he could do for them and not for the message that he preached. Jesus knew that if he stayed in Capernaum, the people may not focus on his message or focus on the fact that he's the son of God. They'd only be interested in what he could do for them. Now see, this is where our Bible passage starts to meddle with us. This is where when we read the Bible, if we're really listening to God, it makes it uncomfortable for us. See, do we love Jesus for who he is or for what he does for us? Is Jesus just a get-out-of-hell-free card to us? Or is he something much more than that? 
Do we pray only when we're at the end and we need help? Well, I better pray. I need Jesus to help me. Do we read our Bible only when we're sad or lonely and we need encouragement? Or do we pray to God just because we love spending time with Him? Do we read our Bible because these words are God's words and that's enough? See, we definitely need God. He definitely does great things for us, doesn't he? I mean, my goodness, Jesus died on the cross so that we can have a relationship with God in the first place. We couldn't do that ourselves. We needed Jesus to do that for us. He rose from the dead so we can have eternal life. We we needed Jesus to do that for us. But if our love for God is based only on what God does for us, that's not much of a relationship with God at all, is it? When we can love God simply because of who he is, then we're on our way to becoming disciples of Jesus like he wants us to be. Y'all have probably figured out that my sermons typically have just one point to them. Because that's all I can remember. So just one point usually. Today I want to end our time together with three questions that come out of our scripture passage. Three questions. If you want to write them down in the Bible, in the margin of your Bible or on your bulletin, I encourage you to. Because these are important questions that just come straight out of our story today. Here's the first question. Why do you love God? Why do you love God? See, your answer to that question is going to reveal a lot about your relationship with him. Here's the second question. How do you know that you're staying on task with what God has placed you on this earth to do? How do you know that you're staying on task with what God has placed you on this earth to do? Maybe we'll know what that is when we're open to God speaking to us. And finally, how much intentional time do you spend with God every day? How much intentional time do you spend with God every day? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it, to compare that intentional God time with the amount of time we spend on social media or watching TV or talking to other people. See, whether we know it or not, all throughout our day, every day, God is speaking to us. We're usually too busy doing other more important things than to be listening for God. So what might God be saying to you right now? Right now. I hope you're open to it. 
based on this amazing passage of Scripture, out of which these three questions come to light, what is God saying to you? See, this morning as we share the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage you to do something. As you receive the bread and the cup, I encourage you to focus on one of those three questions that seems to stand out to you the most. Just one of those three, because maybe, maybe God is highlighting one of those in your life. Here are the questions again. Why do you love God? How do you know that you're staying on task with what God has placed you on this earth to do? And how much intentional time do you spend with God every day? Let's pray.